Hello, I'm Jenny Thomas. And I'm Nick Heath, and welcome to Jenny Thomas Talks About Child Bereavement for the Angus Lawson Memorial Trust. As a journalist friend and someone who lost a parent in my teenage years, my role in this series is to ask Jenny to share with us some stories, insight and guidance as to what's useful for anyone who is grieving or supporting someone who is bereaved. As a leading figure and pioneer in child bereavement, Jenny is the patron of the Angus Lawson Memorial Trust. On these podcasts, Jenny will share what children and parents have said was so important to them at this most difficult time in their lives. I hope you'll find what I've got to say and share with you beneficial. If you find any areas of what we discuss particularly difficult, I do encourage you to seek out a family member, a friend or counselling professional who is able to listen and be supportive. Jenny is regretfully unable to respond to any individual requests for support or counselling. But for more information on the Angus Lawson Memorial Trust, visit almt.org. And if you'd like further resources, you can head to Jenny's website on jennythomas.com or view the links in the podcast description. Hello and welcome to Jenny Thomas Talks About Child Bereavement. Thank you for tuning in once again or a very warm welcome if perhaps you've come specifically to listen to this episode. I'm very pleased to be alongside Jenny Thomas as we discuss another really difficult situation that many people will have had experience of, the medical termination of a baby during pregnancy. We're fortunate today to be joined by Lisa and Stuart. Um, Thank you both so much for being ready to talk to us about this. You're very welcome. Thank you for having us. Now, when Lisa and Stuart learned of major problems in Lisa's second pregnancy at the 20-week scan, they called the baby girl she was carrying Hope. Now, sadly, things got steadily worse, and at the 28-week scan, the doctors explained that the baby's lack of development was so serious that it wouldn't be able to live. Together with the doctors, Lisa and Stuart made the heartbreaking decision not to continue with the pregnancy. Once they got home from the hospital after Lisa had had a medical termination, they felt overwhelming grief and found it difficult to get the bereavement support they needed. But they did eventually receive it from Jenny. Thank you, Nick. And thank you, Lisa and Stuart, so very much for coming today. I know that this is important to you because you want to help other people who are also been through heart-rendering situations and made very difficult decisions. One of the things I've learned is that people who are able to talk about their bereavement and get the opportunity to talk about what's happened and how they feel are helped. Um, And I hope that this is something that will happen out of this podcast today. One of the things I wanted to start with was to ask you today... How important is hope to you, the memory of her? You go first. Incredibly important. Mm. She's still our daughter, sorry. Mm. Um, And no matter how long passes, she'll always be our daughter. So how long ago is it since you lost her? Just over two years. And when we first met, we talked about um, the... Difficulty. I remember you talking, Stuart, about the difficulty of knowing in the pregnancy that something was wrong. Can you can you say a little bit about that? How early in the pregnancy was it? Um, the twenty week scan. To be honest, um, when we came out of there, 
um, we were told that the baby was slight, slightly small. Um, it, and that was it, really, at that stage. We, we, we desperately wanted to speak to somebody and find out what this meant. But it, it was sort of the end of the day, and we couldn't really speak to anybody. So we're no, going no. away at that stage, just thinking, um, yeah, the baby's a little bit small. Hmm. But not really knowing what that meant at that particular time. And I, I, I think it's all right to mention that I know you're expecting another baby, and you're near that time now, aren't you? You were just saying today when you arrived. What, yes, what? we're um, we're 19 weeks now. So next week we have our 20 week scan, which is the point at which last time things started to unravel for us. So you must be very anxious about that. Yeah, we are. We hadn't. Um, we have a little boy. We hadn't <clears throat> told him actually until just this week um, because we didn't really want to give him any kind of false hope. But um, as things get big, as I you know progress and get bigger, um, he's quite lively. So boisterous. I needed. Yeah, he's boisterous. I needed to tell him just so he could calm down a little with all the jumping and cuddling and headbutting and things. And, and that's uh, Archie, is yeah, it? Yeah, Archie. So tell us a bit about how was he when you told him? What did he do? Um, he, he was over the moon, to yeah. be honest. Um, yeah. but he, he's very aware of what happened with Hope, um, which is important. So he, he mentions Hope weekly, even to this day, and I think uh, he always how old will. Is he now? Four, four and a half now. So he was. He was two and a half. Two and a half. Oh, I remember yeah. how grown up he was. Yeah. So he took it in, didn't he? He re- he's really wanted a sister. We celebrate Hope's birthday at home. And she has a candle and he blew it out and sang happy birthday and told us he wished that we could have a, another baby mm. this year. And um, yeah, when we told him, he was so excited. He's absolutely convinced it's a girl. He's coming up with names. He's been all practical, telling me that him and Stuart are going to go and buy car seats from Ikea and that the baby can sleep with him and he'll bring it into me for milk in the morning. Oh, He's just sweet. a constant stream. He's so excited. He um, can't wait. I don't know how we're going to get through the next couple of months with him, bless him. <laughs> how, how does that make you feel, knowing he's so excited with such big expectations? It raises my anxiety slightly before the scan next week, if I'm completely mm-hmm. honest. Um, but if, we can, if it happens and if it's safe and we have a baby this time, then it will just be perfect. You mm-hmm. know, Even though hope will still be there and will always be part of our family, it will, in a way, feel complete to have gone full circle now and had another baby and given him a brother or sister and the, the thing that I'm really aware of from what um, other people have told me is there's this difficulty in sort of being so excited and pleased at some level and so fearful at another that something could go wrong and the you know I was thinking when you said you told Archie I thought that's so helpful in a way because whatever happens with this little one I feel very much that the the fact that you're able to share with him that you're having a baby and you can take on board how much that matters to you even if this baby isn't doesn't come to be the baby that you bring home and yeah. that's all all right you will be pleased that you've loved it yeah you know i know people I've who don't it. want to tell anyone keep it all a secret which is quite natural Mm. But actually, they feel very, very bad about that if something goes wrong. 
Of course, you feel terrible anyway, but you don't want to feel guilty that you didn't even feel pleased about being pregnant. Does, does that make some sense? It, yes. To me, especially after yeah, what happened with so. Hope, because we were so focused on um, what it would do to our little life of three. And, you know, you got very focused on what needed to be done around the house. And I got very overwhelmed at the idea of having two children, small children close together, that we didn't really take time to enjoy that pregnancy because we just we took it for granted quite honestly we had one child we didn't think we would be one of those one of these people that would mm. be later on talking about a child who who didn't live so yeah we yeah definitely can you can you say a bit Stuart about what happened with hope because you were saying that at 20 <clears> weeks <throat> it started to unravel that things were not as you'd hoped yeah um we were lucky enough to see a very good consultant um, who didn't really hide anything from us. So we were um, told early on, really, what may happen. Um, you know, obviously a worst-case scenario. Um, but we were very glad of the um, bluntness, I suppose. The truthfulness. Um, truthfulness, exactly. Mm. Um so it just sort of felt a bit like Groundhog Day going every two weeks, being told the same thing, no improvement. Um, and then we, we had a few glimmers of hope, really. But to be quite honest, that was more down to the um, failings of uh, the staff, to be honest. Mm. Um, giving false hope, really, when it was sort of the wrong person relaying information. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, just every few weeks being told the same thing. When And then when it sort of got to where the, the time was up, we had to make a very, very difficult decision. What sort of weeks, how many weeks was she at that um, stage? She was she, 27, 28 yeah, weeks. Yeah, 27, 28 weeks. And so, what do you mean you, about the decision to explain that a little yeah, bit? Um, the consultant really just sort of said... Um, we're going to have to speak to some specialists, further scans and just find out exactly what it would mean to have the baby and, um, you know, exactly what would happen. And at that stage, we were we were told some very, very... Um, Pretty bleak statistics. Yeah, yeah. They were talking about a baby that was 24 weeks and Hope wasn't even um, measuring in her growth. She wasn't mention, measuring these babies at 24 weeks because that's when they talk about them potentially being viable. Um, but she was still so small that, yeah, the, the statistics they gave us were pretty, pretty bleak. Yeah. yeah so, and the, Oh, sorry. So basically we had the choice at the end of that day to either stay there and try and have the baby, but, but Lisa would have to be admitted there and then. Um, and induced. Yeah, basically. Or, but with the statistics that we got and um, the outcome just looked very, very bleak. Sounded so, horrific, didn't it? Sounded it? horrific. Like um, ventilation and so, infections and risks. Of yeah, things. even if she'd survived the birth as such, yeah. it was a. It was horrible. Absolutely. Um, sounded like a lot of suffering. For suffering for her. Yeah, for her. her. Yeah. You know, if she if she survived birth, she would then certainly, most definitely, be kept in that hospital for a lengthy period of yeah. time. Have the, to undergo incubation and yeah. learning to feed and grow and. There was all these risks along the way of, of things that could go wrong and yeah. 
so the best case scenario really was she'd be born, but she would have some form of um, disability. disability. Or... I don't know if that's the right word, really. Just mm. some sort of brain brain issues. Um, it was hard to say, really, how you know, it would affect her. Yeah. So what degrees. did you do? What, what Was there a time when you both came to the same decision or were you very different in how you felt? I think that because the doctor, I mean, the doctor told us at our 20-week, 20, when we first met the consultant at 22 weeks, in that first appointment, I remember her writing on the notes that the risk of, and this is very technical, the, uh, very clinical, the risk of fetal demise is high. And I think from that point on, with all of our scans, it was in our head that nature might make the decision for us and mm. the baby we would go mm. every couple of weeks and actually there was a week where we might go and the baby the baby's heart might have stopped on its own um so in our heads we kind of had started to think that this wasn't actually yeah. maybe nature was going to take its course and we weren't going to have this little it, baby I, I think what st- stays in my head really are the statistics and um it was such a low um, percentage of her even surviving the birth, let alone um, anything else. Any sort of so, life, any... Yeah. yeah, so we sort of decided... We were, I just remember the room, a little white room, just me and Lisa in there just bawling. <laughs> but we had, to, we had to make a difficult decision there. There and then it felt... Um, so, so we spoke to the doctor, obviously it was past a certain point. So they had to have a few doctors agree that it was the right thing to do at this stage. Cause we couldn't just, um, decide ourselves that we, you know, would have to terminate the, the pregnancy. So, yeah. So, so at that stage we, we'd sort of, um, made the decision and, um, yeah, we hoped it was one we didn't have to make. We 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 almost hoped that nature would do this for of us. Of course, because as the weeks went on, it wasn't just affecting us because we were. It was you know like our lives had kind of stopped. We were up and down, up and down. There was hope between every appointment that when we get there, there'd be something. And we had our little boy who was two and a half at the time, mm. who was just being pushed not pushed around. He, grandparents were amazing and so helpful, looking after him and friends. But he didn't know where he he didn't know whether he was coming or going anymore, and that was affecting him his routine and his happiness at home, which was then Back putting more pressure on us as well. Um, so although we hoped we wouldn't have to do it, when the doctors told us you either stay today, and we try, and it's a very small chance that it could happen for you, or you you basically go home and your baby probably won't be there when you go for your next scan. Mm. Um, but if it did happen, the chances are the baby would be in a very bad state. So you sort of think in your own head, is is there going to be much of a life as well mm, at that course, stage? Of course. Yeah. So um, once you knew that you were going to have her, did you realise you'd have to have her vaginally? Did did you know you did you know that? What, what I don't think we knew then? anything really at the time. We just said yeah, we, we think it would be best now at this point. We Rather than keep coming back and forth and let nature take its course, that we will, um, we said to, we'll come and see the consultant next week. And if the baby is still alive at that point, we would, if terminate. she would agree, we would terminate. And, um, and that, it, when we saw her, that's when it was all explained to us what would happen. And how do, how do you remember her, her birth? Quiet, really. Oh. For me as a dad, it, was just exactly the same as Archie's 
if I'm honest, it, it just surprised me that we would go through exactly the same routines. So um, Lisa would be given, you know, the same pain pain relief. Um, we'd, same room, or not same room, same ward. We'd wander around, uh, you know, to the, to the ASDA, you know, just while we are waiting. It just felt so so cruel that it was yeah. exactly the same as, mm. as what we're it was we're on the labour ward with women walking up and down a corridor hearing yeah. people actively in labour and giving birth to live children we could hear yeah. babies crying mm. and we were in a room down the end the only difference was that the room had a double bed in and that was it and a telly yeah. and stuff so you could be comfortable so to speak but, so you yeah. stayed all the time Stuart I did yeah and do you remember her being born do you remember seeing her um not, not as such, but but with Archie, he was sort of whipped away because he he was delivered via forceps. So so it was a case of him sort of being whipped away quickly, and then me going over and cutting the cord. It with hope it was, again she was whipped sort of whipped away to be cleaned up. We didn't see her for a long. It felt like ages. It felt like hours. She was born in her sack. They yeah. told us afterwards. Oh, okay. So. Yeah, it did feel like she was gone for a long time. We didn't know what it. We didn't know what it was. Still at that point, was, we didn't know it was a girl, so no, we were still it was, it waiting was very, to hear. It was very surreal because, mm. in the, although it seems like a really strange thing to say, you're expecting to hear some cry. Yeah, because it's just the natural. You know, your partner's giving birth, and there's no cry. It's it's just something so unnatural about it. Is makes it very real yeah. that mm. she wasn't Definitely. alive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it was really at that stage for me where I sort of realised the enormity what of, of what's happened. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Before yeah. that, I was sort of thinking, once the baby's born, we can move on. You know, it sounds terrible now, but in my own head, I'd sort of thought once the baby had been born, it would be all over. But it was only just beginning. Yeah, exactly. The, grief the impact exactly. of, of actually, yeah, what had happened and, and that that baby had been born yeah. so was really a part of you and there was no it wasn't this mythical pregnancy it's anymore this mythical yeah. difficult pregnancy it's it was turns out that was the easy bit really mm. sort of leading up to the birth and yeah it's the aftermath isn't it that... yeah facing the reality that your little baby was a little girl and that she was born and she had died and you need to somewhere find a way of Believing that that's happened, and by talking about it and sharing it in the way that you do, uh, or both you both have, can make it much more helpful for you as a couple. So at that painful time, how did you know that you needed support, and, and what happened next? Not a lot, really. We were left in the room. They brought Hope in after a few hours, and there was a palaver with setting up a cold cot for her. The nurse didn't know how to do that, and... And then they came back in to get a cold cot for somebody else, um, which I found very, I found quite sad that there was somebody else obviously going through this. So a cold cot being that they kept her little body in something cool so she yeah. could stay with you for a bit. Yeah, um, they didn't really, it was like they didn't really know how to deal with us. I suppose there was no feeding yeah. to learn or nothing, no nappies to change. So we were literally, you know, it was like, take, you know, you can stay for as long as you want, but we didn't really know ourselves what to do and it it was kind of strange sitting in that room overnight even with a baby in a cold cot next to you that wasn't going to wake up or wasn't going to do anything we really just didn't know what to do no we we were sort of expecting to be led by um 
a bereavement midwife who we were sort of, I was hoping anyway, I don't know about you, but would sort of walk us through what was going to happen, um, how long we'd have to be there, um, what actually needs to be done legally mm. in regards to birth certificates, death certificates. Funerals. We it just, it just seemed very, very confusing that we couldn't, nobody was able to tell us exactly what, what we actually had to do for our for our daughter hmm. at this stage. That must have been very confusing. What was happening there was that we've learnt from parents that when a baby dies, it's important for parents to spend time with their dead baby. Um, that helps them to face what's really happened and, and for you to to be there with Hope after she died was something that, perhaps should have been explained to you more in a very sensitive way. And I understand that there was a midwife with you at that time. And what help did you get from her? She guided us. She offered us, um, you know, a disclose here. Do you want to dress your baby? And, of course, we didn't have anything. And if, But that was quite late, I think, quite late in the day they offered us clothing. It must have been about 9, 10 it, o'clock at night. Yes, it was. Um, but it was nice. No... It wasn't even that night. It was the following morning, actually. They offered us clothing for her. So all night she'd been wrapped in a sheet in a towel in the in the car and we hadn't been able to dress her. It was hard to look at her body, actually, because of it being so small. So when we were offered clothing the next morning, that was quite um, quite a nice thing to be able to do, to be able to dress her and put her in some proper clothes, give her a bit of... It was almost like giving her a bit of dignity, really. Um, but that happened so late on, you know. And it made her real. I'm so oh, pleased. I, I didn't. I didn't know you'd seen her little body because I always think, you know, they wrap babies up that have died, and you can't really see. You couldn't. You can't see it them so clearly. So in fact, you did, although it was a, a day late. Yeah. yeah. No, we. St- I steeled myself to look. I wanted to look yeah. at everything, um, and I did take my camera and I did take photographs and so I, I knew that these would be the only things we'd have to remember her mm. going into it I was very much the opposite I was saying I, I can't I can't look at the baby but as soon as the baby was born I, I had to mm. um you you so I, I completely changed my whole outlook once you once you saw her yeah, and once she was here exactly so I wanted pictures you know just the same as with, with Archie really just have on display at home. Yeah, we Sounds tried to take morbid, pictures of the three of us, didn't we? It's, it's important. Yes, it's very important to have memories of a baby that's died. It's as important as a baby that lives. If a baby lives, you have years more of memories. If a baby dies, it's all you have. So how did you feel when you came out of the hospital? So after we came out of hospital, um, you get left like completely alone. I had a text from my midwife um, I had a text saying I had a midwife appointment and then a text from the midwife saying, I've just heard what's happened, I'll leave you alone. Um, you know, hopefully see you again one day, or, or words to that effect. And I just felt um, just let go, really. Because after having Archie, you've got everyone. You've got the health visitors coming round. Mm, you have your mm. six-day check, you know. Um, I remember with him, I couldn't breastfeed so well, so I had other people coming around to help with the breastfeeding. You're inundated with visitors, cards, flowers, you know, like, and you go home and it's just back to normal life. Mm. Um, and it must be horrific for women that go home and have got a nursery done and they've got to face all that kind of thing. We hadn't we hadn't got that far, thankfully. But, um, 
So I went to my GP and just said, I, I feel like after what's happened, I could do with somebody to talk to. The GP gave me a list of phone numbers. And, um, you know, that's not particularly helpful because then you've got to ring somebody. You've got to say, hi, my name's so-and-so and I need help because I just had a baby and she was still born. Um, and you don't you don't want to keep saying that to people. You don't want to keep reaching out to people when the doors feel like they're constantly being closed. It sounds really, really hard for you to have to say the, the thing that you find the most difficult, that your baby has died, but actually, in reality, it's helpful in grief to be able to say what's really happened. I'm not saying that it doesn't hurt you, but it actually is good for you in a way that makes it the truth. You know, you, we can't take away the pain and the truth of what's happened. And when you got in touch with me, where possible, I like to see couples together. So, Stuart, have you found that being here for each meeting has mattered? Um, it has mattered a great deal, to be honest. I've, it's always been spaced out just at the right sort of space to to look forward to it and think, oh, yeah, I'm glad we're going to go and see Jenny next week because I've got such and such I want to bring up. Um but, it's usually but, about every month, isn't it? Yes, yeah. yeah which so works for you with getting time off work and definitely because there's, there's so much to cover. Really, um, a lot of firsts in the first year as well, um, family issues. And but but before um, we came, I was very sceptical, um, if I'm honest. Mm -hmm. But but it's helped me beyond beyond belief. It's helped us. You didn't believe in counselling at all. You weren't somebody who ever even thought you would ever go and speak to somebody about anything, were you? No, no. to be honest, but I've changed my opinion completely. Stuart, if you don't mind me interrupting just for a moment, um, you mentioned a lot of firsts. It's, you know, the usual days, you know, the Easter's, the Christmases. Mother's Day. Um, Mother's, Mother's Day, Day Father's, Father's Day. Day. Um, First birthday. That will do, do we or don't we do something? Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, do, do we, you sort of feel guilty in some respect on the first birthday that you're not able to, you know, give your daughter a nice little party or, or something. Mm. So it's a weird feeling. Mm. And you feel you feel awkward because because people don't necessarily talk or talk about it openly. You kind of think, well, we there's no point really doing anything with people because they yeah. might think it's a bit kind of <laughs> odd, odd that we want to celebrate her birthday. But you feel so strongly... That because exactly. it was your baby, you you're going to remember her. You know, you're going to yeah. you're going to mark that day. What did you do? Tell me what you did. Do you remember? We um we we got a candle, didn't we yeah, that year? Got we got a candle from um, I think it was from a charity, the Special Candle Trust, who made a beautiful candle with her name on her date of birth. It's a nice big church sized candle, and we we just liked that for a couple of hours. Um, did you tell Archie? Yes. Yeah, we tell Archie. Like I said, this year he blew it out and sang her happy birthday. Three times, I think, he sang her happy birthday. Yeah, so, definitely. yeah, he got very into her birthday this year, which was heartbreakingly sad, but beautiful to see that he he's very aware and she will always be a part of his life as well. And in a way, he's likely, when you have this little baby, to ask you if this baby is going to stay or will this baby yes. die? Yeah. Because he's a very bright little fella yeah. and he asks lots of questions. I've loved hearing about him because he's... <laughs> Ask things that feel very grown up, yeah. and he's very likely to remember that 
his last little sister died, and he might be quite disappointed if this baby is not a little sister. Mm. But oh, he'll yes. be pleased with it. Once, yes. it's, once it's here, he will be pleased with whatever it is. You make a point now about Archie because um, that was something that we weren't prepared for and no one gave us any inkling or guidance on how to deal with the fact that we had to tell another child that the baby they thought was in mummy's tummy wasn't coming home. Mm. And actually it was, with, it was only with your help that we, you know, because we were conflicted do we tell him do we not tell him how do we explain it how much do we go into it and there wasn't there was also many mixed views as well from people mm. not directly to us but you could see on their faces sometimes disapproval if we mentioned her name in front of him or mm. um yeah it was that was quite hard and there was no one to help so, guide you've us. done it so well I mean he's so okay isn't yeah, he yeah yeah and he still talks he's about brilliant. her you started with saying that Stuart so it feels like you've done some really helpful things as a mummy and daddy to a little boy who had a very big disappointment in his life really because he didn't know her but he knew what he longed for exactly yeah Yeah. and you've learned to talk to each other haven't you I can see such a difference and you know it's really it's so encouraging to see you feeling so close and uh, you know knowing even now you've got such a big thing in very soon to find out about this little baby. You feel a really solid couple to go through something that's really big these next few months until you've got your new baby. I don't know if we hadn't had these sessions together, quite honestly. I don't know how... It was like Stuart said, when it happens, the after, like afterwards is when it really hits you and how you're going to get through life and go back to normal life with this this gap in your life... Um, it, it was isolated. It's isolating from, from literally everybody and it's it was isolating from each other. Yeah. And I think if we hadn't had this, I don't know where our relationship would be now two years down the line. No. Because I think, I think the grief was quite hard for both of us to deal with. Mm. Um, yeah, we've been very lucky. Yeah, I, I do feel very lucky to have access to you so, to help us and to, mm. to have been able to do this together because it has brought us closer. And, well, you've done it. Yeah. You know, you've done it. Yeah, we have. I, I haven't done very much other than be here to help you talk to each other. And that's what's so difficult. It's yeah. really difficult when you're both in a huge amount of pain. And where do you start? And you're both, your cup's empty. But actually, if you get invited to come together and you'll help to talk to each other, which you both did very willingly and cry together, yeah. it made a big difference. And I, I, that's why I think it's... I'm very grateful that you're willing to talk about yeah. this now. Uh, I did talk to you, um, and you expect you remember about how men and women grieve a bit differently, that men can be very focused on wanting to be restorative and women can be very focused on wanting to be loss-orientated. But actually, in your situation, you, Stuart, were very, very good at being loss-focused, uh, weren't you? I, I found that really interesting. And because of your role in working within a, a health team, you were quite restorative. Mm-hmm. And I found that, that you sort of switched around. So it's not that it's one way or the other. Men and women do both. But um, it, was quite, it was quite a helpful thing to watch how you manage such a big loss together. Yeah. The other thing I just wanted to ask you about, you've, you've said a bit about family, and I know your family are Irish, Lisa, yeah. and they, they 
you know, in Ireland, my experience of Ireland is people do have a head start on how to talk about and relate to grief. But also your family and friends, how, how have they been because of the loss of hope? How, how do you feel? That, have they all been as helpful as you'd have liked? I think that people have... I think because it's such an uncomfortable subject, I think part of the reason we needed you was because everyone did not know how to deal with this or how to approach this or how to even say it. everyone thinks that as soon as they say something you're going to get upset because you might have forgotten you never forget so actually it's easier if somebody does just open a conversation because then you feel like you can talk that was the thing when we came here you were so open and comfortable about it it was just easy to be able to talk about it and although we had expressions of sympathy from a lot of people um after a few weeks it kind of so all our families we had cards and you know, everyone was saying sorry, but we didn't do a funeral uh, because we didn't really know what to do. Um, and so there wasn't really any talk. Everyone just kind of, we just got back to life, really, and got back to... <clears throat> Very lonely place. Yeah, and, and mm-hmm. so things grew. You know, over the last couple of years, the, over the time, we've learned we've learned to be more open about it and talk more about hope, haven't yeah, we? we have. And that's helped our family, I think. To, and even uh, even our friends to a degree, but there's I still feel like there's um it's 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 changed a lot of our relationships with people. Your friendships, yeah, yeah. who still those don't that know. are good and the ones that because they talk about it and yeah. the, the ones that don't. They they all promise. They all say, "I will never forget her. We'll always remember. You know, you can always talk to me." And then her birthday comes around, nothing. Christmas comes around, suddenly everyone forgets, you know, announcements of other people's pregnancies. Um, You know, we have never showed our grief to anybody else's, um, when anyone else has said anything lovely or wonderful to celebrate, but people haven't been able to remember that we want to celebrate your baby. Our baby, you know? Yes, that she's every bit as important to you, even though she died. Yeah. Yeah. Just cards or... Something to say we remember today's her birthday. Mm, definitely. Mm. I really have learnt so much about that over these years. Yeah. And we think people have got better, but there's a lot of education needed, yeah. isn't there? Well, we definitely. see it with Archie because he has his birthday and you get all the cards through and all the messages and the video messages and the phone calls. And so you've got such a contrast. Archie's, the, the mantelpiece is covered with cards and we have parties and then July comes round. It's my birthday a week before I get my cards. And then, you know, you'd, you'd expect to be clearing the way and putting your baby's, your kids' it's... cards up a week later. There's nothing. There's a few, a few people yeah. do remember. A few people do send cards. Yeah, you do get a few people. Um, but it's, it's generally it's the people small. that have had some sort of experience in their life. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, some form of loss. But what, what, what's very hard for me with, with the grieving process is there's, there's no memories. So, so you're grieving and it's just all what ifs. So you, you're thinking, you know, what well, hope would I be think like when now. you have a little baby like Hope, it's all about what you hoped for. Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. the future. So there's not much to get hold of for the. No. That's why things like being able to talk about your birth. I know I learned years ago that people who had experienced the death of a baby needed to talk about having the baby and yeah. having their birth because when we have a baby that lives we all talk about it all the time oh, those our are our birth war stories so birth stories yeah but when your baby dies nobody says well tell 
tell me about your birth no. and what was it like? How long did it take? Did you have stitches? What pain relief did you have? Nothing. Mm. All no those one things. knows. So let's hope out of this experience of listening to you this afternoon that people hearing it will think, well, I'm going to ask somebody if they have a baby mm. that sadly doesn't live to tell me about it. Tell me about what that birth was like. Tell me about that pregnancy. And if people don't want to, they can easily mm. say, well, I'd rather not. But we don't get anything like enough opportunities. No. no. I wonder if I can just ask one question as, as the other guy in the room. Um, sure. As to, Stuart, we know so much about potentially the trauma or obviously the physical things that, that someone giving birth can have and the mother of a kid. Do, has any of it been been challenging for you knowing that perhaps talking to other guys about it might be like, well, look, it, it, you're not the one that, that had to give birth to, to the stillborn baby and, and that kind of thing. Have you sort of had to overcome that in your own head to go, I'm, I'm allowed to be feeling grief here? Yeah, I mean, um, Jenny will tell you, it was a few sessions that we had here where I literally felt winded, physical pain. Um, so, yeah, which I, which I didn't expect, to be honest. Um, but really, in in regards to the, s- the support for men, you have to sort of be quite proactive and go and, go and search for it yourself. Sort of look online and it's just, it's just not quite... Um, Blokes don't talk about it No, anyway. no. It's not quite... Do you talk to your friends? Do you talk to colleagues, friends? Not as much as I'd like to, to be honest, because I think people just find it very difficult Mm. and don't want to say the wrong thing. But um, to be honest, there's nothing really that can be said about about it that is wrong, Mm. in my opinion. (laughs) So Mm. people think to themselves, yeah, I can't can't ask that, I can't can't say that, because it's just going to upset them. But But of course you're upset and they can't upset you more, can they? Exactly, so it's completely the opposite, to be honest. I look forward to hearing when this little baby's born and how Archie is, and I expect that fills you with trepidation because <laughs> you yeah. think, oh, oh, will we get there? But it'd be nice when we when we do hear, or when I hear. Thank, Thank you, you again very much for coming along. Very welcome. Thank you. Well, Jenny, uh, what a powerful listen. Um, certainly having the privilege to, to sit alongside you, Lisa and Stuart, uh, during that conversation uh, was, uh, was quite incredible. Two, two very brave people um, who were able to talk about incredibly sensitive stuff. Yes, yes. I think a final thought, a final um, comment out of that was just how very different people can be, that People will do things you don't expect. So you wouldn't expect necessarily that a baby that parents have had to make a difficult choice over ending the pregnancy would then want to remember an anniversary, a birthday. But they do. And some people are not like that. I think we need to always be mindful that it's not what everybody would do and not to be judgmental. From from my position, I never stop learning how very varied people are in how they manage their grief and how they want things to be remembered or brought up. And so, said, for anyone who who you know may have friends or family that have have, have experienced this, is is part of the takeaway that 
it is okay to sensitively ask because these people may want to talk about it. I mean, I guess some people won't want to talk about it, but if you approach asking them in the right way, then then hopefully you're you're being supportive. Oh, definitely. Um, you have to be brave to do it. But most people I see really appreciate somebody just saying, I've heard that you've had a really difficult time. Do you, would you want to tell me about how you are? You'll soon pick up if they don't. And if they look very tearful because of what you said, you can say, oh, I'm sorry, I hope I haven't upset you. And I expect most bereaved people would say, no, no, it's okay. I'm upset anyway. You know, mm. just being acknowledged can, that you've had something difficult. And you can say, can you tell me about what's happened? They can choose that, you know... I would be mindful not to do it maybe in a work situation where someone has to then manage an interface at work. But actually, if you're having a coffee break or if you're out at the pub, I mean, especially for fellas, I think if only more men asked their mates how they are and how they really are, it would be very, very helpful. I hear from dads all the time, I go out for a drink and I hope somebody's going to say something, but they actually don't. We talk about mm. the, the football or, you know, everything. I know they care about me, but they, they, won't, they don't bring it up. Well, case in point, I think, uh, I think hearing so eloquently from Stuart as to how he felt when, mm. when we just heard from, from him and Lisa was, uh, was, was exemplifying that, that, uh, that the guys are, are hurting too and, and, and want to share in their own way. Um, so once again, thank you to Lisa and Stuart. Jenny, thank you to you. And, uh, and we hope that those of you listening have benefited once again from, uh, from Jenny Thomas talking about child bereavement. And we look forward to you joining us next time. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.